Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you for our first Tuesday morning episode in March. It's a little hard to believe that we are already in the beginning of March of this year, but I guess that is just how time goes sometimes. Anyway, today I have an interview with author Amanda Elliott. She released Best Served Hot a couple of weeks ago, and you may remember that she was on the podcast last year for her novel, Sadie on a Plate. So we are here now to talk about Best Served Hot, and then I'll be back to chat with you about some of this week's new releases. So let's get into the housekeeping information, and then we'll get started. You can find us on Facebook, by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email, and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the Book Bistro Podcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am here with author Amanda Elliott, and we are discussing her novel, Best Served Hot, which is scheduled to release here in the U.S. on February 21st. Amanda, thank you so much for coming back to Book Bistro. Thank you so much for having me again, Shannon. Can we get started with a brief introduction to Best Served Hot so that listeners can have a little bit of an idea what to expect? Absolutely. So Best Served Hot is my enemies to lovers restaurant reviewer rom-com. Um, it follows two restaurant critics with very different tastes and methods of reviewing. Um, one reviews on social media, one reviews for a newspaper um, who are forced to work together after a video of them fighting goes viral. Um, so it has a lot of food descriptions, um, some spice, and it's also a love letter for New York City and its restaurants, um, because I love I live in New York. And one of my favorite things to do here is try out new restaurants and, of course, you know, go back to the ones that I love. I love that the food theme is kind of following you from, you know, Sadie on a plate to now best served hot like there's just something that's so magical about food and romance together i agree i don't think i can write about anything really without writing a lot about food just because i think about food all the time <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what that says about me well i think a lot of people um you know i talk with my grandmother every day and every day she has to tell me um either what she has eaten or what she's going to eat 
or what she's thinking about, like debating whether she should eat. So, you know, food. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a way, you know, especially grandmothers, how they express their love for you. Like, I mean, there's a reason, you know, grandma's chicken soup is kind of a, um, not like a trope, but something that everybody kind of thinks about because, you know, your grandma loves you. She makes you chicken soup, um, feeds you. It's and true. delicious. If, you know, even if it's just out of a can, it's still delicious because it comes from your grandma and it's, you know, heated up with love. Yes. And I'm very, very fortunate to be, you know, almost 43 and to still have one of my grandmothers. Oh, that's so wonderful. So that, that makes me happy every day. <laughs> Although sometimes I think I could do, you know, a little bit less with the discussion of food, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> So this is, as you say, more of an enemies to lovers um, romance trope type book. And I'm curious to know, when you were creating this set of characters, this couple, um, did you kind of know from the start sort of what their what their conflict was going to be? Or did that develop for you as you got to know the characters better and kind of got to know like what each of them was passionate about? So enemies to lovers is my favorite trope, I think, um, out of all kind of the romance tropes. So I knew I would love, to, would have loved to do something kind of um, in that lane. But mm -hmm. also this book was kind of inspired by um, the rise of restaurant reviewers on social media. Because, you know, I've always read, you know, the restaurant review column each week in the New York Times is my favorite thing to read each week. Um, and, you know, the restaurant review columns in places like Eater and the Washington Post also um, and so I've been a longtime reader of things like that, but there's really been a rise, um, you know, in the last several years of restaurant reviews on other, on, you know, more democratic forms of social media, like Instagram, TikTok, um, and other places, even just on kind of blogs. Um, sure. and so I thought the kind of the, the juxtaposition, the two was really interesting because you know, the people who are reviewing restaurant social media, it tends to be, you know, a younger crowd, um, more people of color, um, more, um, more women, um, as compared to kind of the old guard who are reviewing restaurant, who are reviewing restaurants in, you know, traditional newspapers, um, it tends to be like a lot of men, still largely white, um, and largely older. Um, and so I was really interested in kind of how those two are coexisting. And so I wanted to explore that conflict kind of, you know, with characters. Um, so I have my main characters, Julie, who reviews restaurants on social media and Bennett, who reviews for a fictional newspaper um, inspired by the New York Times. And so I wanted to look at how, you know, they review restaurants in different ways, depending on their audiences, um, depending on their own personal biases. And then also looking at really like, is one better than the other? Like, is one really taking away from the other or is it just exposing, you know, more and more varied restaurants to more people? And I think it's an interesting kind of issue, even if we take it away from food and just like look at it as the way in which so many of us consume our news every day. Like some people still will get, you know, a newspaper, even if it's a newspaper online, they'll still look at things that are published in more traditional newspapers where a lot of other people, you know, tend to look at more of sort of the, the news that comes across social media, um, news on, on YouTube or TikTok. Um, and so I think it's not just in the food arena that we see this with, with news. And so I love that you're able to kind of take this thing that feels very, very timely given 
just the way social media plays a huge part in so many of our lives and incorporate it into this lovely like food driven romance. Yeah, totally. That's an interesting way to look at it. Um, Cause yeah, it, it really is true. And you know, all sorts of things, not just food and restaurant reviews. Right. I mean, even like book reviews, right? Like it used to be that if you wanted book reviews, you had to find like, you know, the New York times book review, or they used to have a few like scattered throughout, you know, people magazine. Um, and now because of social media, you can find blogs and podcasts and YouTube channels and TikToks and, you know, Instagram, all these things where people can just talk about things that we either love or don't love. Um, and you don't, you also don't have to be sort of a, how do I say, like someone picked, especially, you know, by some sort of like news source, you can be just an average person sharing your opinion online. Absolutely. And I love that it's exposed so many more, you know, kinds of books, too, because even just looking at like, you know, the genre of this book, like romance, rom-com, um, yes. they're not typically reviewed. Like, I mean, the New York Times has the occasional kind of roundup of, of romance, but, you know, it's not exactly their focus. Whereas if you go on Instagram or TikTok, it's, you know, a ton of romance. And so it's a great way to kind of see, um, you know, what people are reading and what people are thinking um, without having to be, you know, kind of passed through that um gauntlet to get the the job at a place like the new york times right because i'm guessing you know i've never tried to be hired by the new york times <laughs> but i'm guessing it's um you know quite a a difficult uh, hiring process yeah i would imagine in any kind of like media i would imagine you know the washington post anything like that yeah so you have written not only um not only romance, but you also write YA under a different name. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, I write adult romance as Amanda Elliott. And then um, my YA in middle grade, um, I write as Amanda Panich. Oh, now I have never seen any of your middle grade, but I have seen some of your YA. So I'm curious to know, like, do you have kind of a favorite between the two or do both of them work for you in different ways, like writing for adults or writing for younger people? No, honestly, I love it all in different ways. Um, and they engage, you know, it's, it's pretty similar ultimately, like, you know, drafting and writing a book. I, I use the same kind of outlining process, the same kind of like, you know, idea generation process, and, you know, the same word limit that I write per day. It's just, you know, middle grade is done faster because it's shorter. Um, Absolutely. But, but really, honestly, you know, writing books is hard, you know, no matter what age group is for. But honestly, I find it harder the younger you go. Like, I think my middle grade books were the most difficult books that I've written because, you know, I'm almost 34 years old. And so going back to being in the mindset of a 12 year old, that's, you know, that's more than half my life ago. Um, and, you know, it can be really hard to to find that mindset of a 12 year old again. Um, and I was, I was lucky in that I kept a pretty um, thorough diary from that age. So if I need inspiration ah. and, you know, trying to remember what it's like to be 12 or what it's like to be 17, I can go back and like read through those entries and be like, oh, okay, right. This is what I was obsessed with then. This is how I was thinking then. Um, but really like I find adult books and again, no book is easy, but I find adult books easier because, you know, um, even if a character is very different for me, it's kind of one leap to go from, you know, my mind to this character's mind versus like if I'm writing a YA book, it's, you know, two leaps where it's kind of like 
me into this character's mind and then also into that character as a 17 year old, which is, you know, again, half my life ago. Um, so that can be difficult, but I find it fun and challenging, you know, kind of in all age groups. So I have to ask you if it is just the tiniest bit horrifying to go back and reread like diary entries that oh you my wrote God, yes. as you were growing up. <laughs> so horrifying. I look back and I'm like, what are you thinking? Um, like what, like I, you know, man, yes, definitely. Lots, so much cringing, but ultimately, you know, being grateful for it. Cause it led to, to me being me and who hasn't like cringed horribly at things they did as a, you know, middle schooler or a teenager. I feel like that's part of growing up. I think it is. I just think it's sort of funny when you're, you know, like there are things that I remember from, you know, be from like my time in, you know, high school, junior high and things that I think have sort of changed in my memory as I have grown up. But then if I'm forced to like look back at actually, you know, the words I wrote back then, I'm like, wow, you know, this was <laughs> much worse than I remember. <laughs> totally. Just, you know, all of the, um, you know, kind of weird like things that you're obsessed with growing up and like super odd, you know, friend dynamics. It's just yeah. all kind of a, a a cringy thing to look back on. Fortunately, I don't have a ton of writing from my own time like back back then. Um, I've seen a few things and I think ultimately I'm kind of glad that I can't you know, go back and, and relive that um, in, in quite the way that you can. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> With the diary entries. Ugh. So what can listeners expect next from you now that Best Served Hot is almost in the world? We are recording just a week ahead of your publication date. Yeah, so I can't talk specifics yet, but you can rest assured that anything I write will have a lot of food in it. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. But we can definitely look forward to more from you. You're not like disappearing off the off the writing scene anytime soon, we hope. I mean, I hope not. I mean, I guess there's no guarantees in life at all, but I mean, well, that's true. not if it's under my control. <laughs> okay, well, that, that's fair. You know, some people kind of get it where they'll, they feel like, wow, you know, I've written a few things. I really like that. You know, now I think I'm ready to move on to something else. And I'm always sort of interested in what, what prompts people to either continue writing or to say, you know, okay, like I've done this and it was cool, but it's not a thing that I want to, you know, keep doing. Right. No, I, that's never been, you know, I just, I keep having the ideas and every time I think like, okay, well maybe this is it. Another idea will come in and refuse to let me go until I write it down. That is always a good thing. And the more ideas that keep coming, the more books we have. And I really can't imagine anything better than that. Oh, thank you. So have you learned anything like as you move from book to book, like are there things that you take with you from project to project or is each time kind of like a new clean slate for you? Um, I'd say each book is absolutely different. Like even just looking between Sadie on a Plate and Best Served Hot, which are my two adult books, um, just writing the two books were pretty different. Like Sadie on a Plate, honestly, was pretty straightforward um you know i wrote it down and of course it went through edits but structurally it was pretty similar from the beginning to the end whereas best served hot went through kind of like a couple major um rewrites and changes and i mean the hope is that readers 
don't look at it and tell the difference. But it's interesting to see how like um, a different character can be be more difficult to write or um, like a different kind of romance um, can be um, more challenging to write. Um, Best Served Hot has my first sex scene that I've ever written. Um, so hopefully that is um, good. Um, but that was definitely challenging to write. Um, and yeah, I like to was think that awkward? each time- to kind of get into the mindset of writing like a sex scene. I know people talk about a lot, you know, if it's their first time or just even, you know, maybe like a spicier sex scene than they've written before. Some people have said, you know, it feels sort of awkward, almost like you're like a voyeur. <laughs> I was like, it didn't feel so awkward, the actual like kind of mechanics of writing it, but um, it got so awkward because I'd sit down and write and think like, my mom is going to read this or like, you know, oh! <laughs> <laughs> or like, my dad is going to read this and, you know, just like write it and cringe, like thinking about it through those eyes. So if you can get those thoughts out of your head, I'd say, you know, more power to you. But, um, you know, that, that, um, that I think was the most challenging aspect of it to me, knowing that like, you know, people I know in real life would be reading it like total strangers reading it. I have no, you know, no weirdness about that at all. But like for people I know reading it, um, you know, that makes me cringe, but what can you do? Hopefully they'll all just skip over it, or at least in my head they will. <laughs> yeah, you can just decide, like, oh, nobody yeah. reads that part. <laughs> like, my parents, no, they, they won't read that part. It'll be okay. Yeah, like, weird how the copies that came to my parents' house were, like, missing that scene somehow. Yes, like, they just somehow got left out. Yeah, weird printing error. <laughs> so is there a part of writing that feels more challenging to you than other parts? Um, I'd say... I'm one of those writers who at every stage, um, I tend to wish I was at a different stage. Um, and each time I'm at a stage, I'm like, this is the hardest stage. Like, you oh. know, if I'm draft, if I'm like, I'm a first draft, I'm like, oh, I hate drafting. Like revising is so much easier because I have something already there to work with. And then like, you know, when I'm revising that first draft, I'm like, oh man, I wish I was first drafting. Like, I wish I had that freedom because now I'm like kind of confined by like what I've already written. And, you know, then, you know, copy edits and line edits where you're just tweaking little things. Um, I overthink everything and I'm like, oh man, I wish I had like, you know, I could change like entire paragraphs again. So yeah, I think they're all, they're all hard. Um, and generally whatever stage I'm at um, is the hardest stage. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some things that you may have read recently that you think the world should know about. Absolutely. I'm always happy to talk books. Um, Yay. So recently, actually, a lot of the romance that I've read, I've read some fantastic romance, but it's not out for several months um, because I read them. I was lucky enough to read them in advance. Um, so uh, yeah, I think I'm going to have to talk about most of them. Yeah. Um, so um, definitely keep your eyes out for Kissing Kosher by Jean Meltzer, which is um, a oh. book about... Um, Rival Jewish bakeries. Um, Didn't she write um, the matzo ball a couple of years ago? She did. Okay. Um, and also keep your eye out for Chef's Choice um, by T.J. Alexander. Um, and if you haven't read Chef's Kiss, which is the first oh, book. Oh, Chef's Kiss! Um, so good. So many delicious food descriptions. I finished that yes. book so hungry. Um, but that's a uh, another kind of foodie romance that is a foodie queer romance that is just fantastic. Um, Recently, I've also loved um, The Fraud Squad by Kyla Zhao. 
Oh, yes. Um, that is sitting on my iPad currently. Oh, it's so much fun. It's like a very dishy kind of contemporary um, women's fiction slash rom-com about um, a working class Singaporean woman who decides to kind of like lie her way into the socialite classes to try and get her dream job at a, at a magazine. Um, and it was just so much fun. Like I, if you like shows like Gossip Girl, like definitely check this out, like, because it's a lot of rich people being terrible, um, but also oh, yes. like, you know, flaunting fashion and, you know, fancy things. Um, and I've been on a, um, a thriller kick lately too. So I've really oh, loved recently. I just finished What Lies in the Woods by Kate Alice Marshall, um, which is um, about three girls who um, were attacked in the woods when they were little. And now, of course, the man who was accused of it has um, just died in prison and is opening up all sorts of old wounds. And they've all returned to the, the town to kind of unearth the secrets of the past. And I find that a lot of thrillers, the ending, you know, it doesn't hold up. But I found in this one, the ending really did hold up. And there are lots of twists. I have to ask you about the Kate Ellis Marshall. I know that sometimes her books are categorized as horror. And so I'm wondering if this one has kind of that horror-esque feel or if you feel like it's more of like a just a straight up thriller. I thought it was more of a thriller. Like I think it definitely, I think anything that takes place in kind of like the woods with bodies and blood and stuff will have some kind of a horror feel. But um, I mean, I think it, it, it was definitely more of a straight up um, mystery thriller. Um, and then, but one more that was kind of like, you know, between thriller and I guess it's a, it's a cozy, but, um, one of my absolute favorite books of, um, the year so far was, um, Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers. Yes. Sutanto. Oh, have you read it too? <laughs> yes. I love oh her so I much. I loved it so I mean, I love all of her books so much, so it's hard to yes. like, you know, pick a favorite, but I think this might be my favorite of her so far. Um, it's just, it's, it's like... Oh, just everything about it was so good. It had so much heart. Um, and so I love many, like, like the it, found family aspect of yes, it. Yes, yes. Like it's it's about like a little old lady who's very lonely who finds um a uh, a corpse in her tea shop and she decides to solve the murder herself because she thinks the police aren't taking it seriously enough. But and she kind of <laughs> assembles a found family of suspects, and so at the same time she's like mothering yes. them, but she's also like investigating them for murder, and they form like you know, this really weird Motley found family. And oh my God, I just, it was hilarious. And I love the characters and I ended it just wanting to like, you know, go to the murdery tea shop and hang out. Um, so definitely, definitely check that one out. That was so Yeah, good. I think her aunties books are still my favorite, like Dial A for aunties and for aunties in a wedding. But this one like gave me so much of like what I loved from those books. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm so glad. That you know, I love the aunties continued too. in that vein. Oh, the aunties, yes. I keep hoping the aunties will come back, but I'm not really sure, like, where <laughs> you know, where else they could go or like what else they could yeah. get up to. Oh, I think the aunties could get up to all sorts of trouble. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> to see them like turn up, you know, like you know, you know, that all those things with the UFOs being shot down, like somehow the aunties are behind it, they could do oh, anything. Yes, yes, maybe the aunties are, you know, somehow uh spearheading all these um. What am I trying to say? Spearheading all of these like efforts to, you know, bring them down. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the aunties. Do too. you have anything on your radar, like YA wise or? Um, yeah. So, so I just read a really, really cute romance, actually, um, a YA romance, um, The Love Match by Priyanka Taslim. 
Um, I'm on hold for that at my public library. Oh, it's super, super cute um, and super fun. And I loved it, you know, because it takes part, I mean, not just because it takes place in New Jersey and I am from New Jersey and I always think New Jersey needs more love. Um, so if you also think New Jersey needs more love, um, you should check it out. But I love um, rom-coms that kind of subvert tropes. Yes. And so this one does a bit of that because um, she's set up, um, it's about a, um, a Bangladeshi American um, Muslim teenager who is set up um, with kind of Mr. Perfect to, you know, to ideally eventually have an arranged marriage. Um, but she, of course, they immediately hate each other. So, but they don't want to disappoint their families by telling them no. So they, um, they formulate this whole like convoluted plan to break them up and show their families that they're not well suited for each other. Um, and meanwhile, she's falling in love with kind of like the starry-eyed musician at the tea shop who that she works at. Um, and I don't want to get into it and spoil anything, but it just like I it delighted me. Um, you know, both the voice of the main character. I loved I loved Zara, um, and I loved watching her find love, and it, it was just an absolute delight. Um, and I also loved like on a more serious note, I loved We Deserve Monuments by Jazz Hannah. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, which that was, was that's like one definitely of my first book this year. It was so excellent. So good. Um, but definitely, yeah, don't pick that one up if you want like a feel good one. But nope. um yeah, but it it's like a um kind of a, a southern mystery um that involves a lot of like racism and racist history. And the ending shocked me actually. Like again, I was saying like I read a lot of thrillers, it's hard to shock me, but that ending definitely did. Yes, um, I, I was very surprised much. by that ending as well. Yeah, I am then, just oh finishing God, that... up um, Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute by Talia Hibbert, which is her first oh, YA. List. Yes, it's very, very good. It has the same kind of feel as like her books for adults, but just with like a younger cast. So it's it's just so, so excellent. I love everything about Talia Hibbert. Oh, I have to check that out, too, because I know and another romance, YA romance I loved is How to Excavate a Heart. Have you read that one? I have not, but I want to. It's really cute um, by Jake Maya Arlo. Um, it's like a holiday time um, romance um, that starts off with one, you know, accidentally hitting the other with their car. And, you know, how could you have a better oh. start to your relationship than that? Yes, I, I think um, that would be. Hmm sort of a, what would we call that? Like not a mute cute, but a meet something else. <laughs> um, I can't think of a good description for it. I, I wish I was like super quick with coming up with, you know, punny uh, phrases for things, but that's not me. <laughs> me meat crush? Maybe. Well, I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with me again and give listeners a bit of an update on, you know, kind of what you've been up to and also to share with us some of your writing experience from Best Served Hot. Yeah, thank you again so much for having me. Again, it was great to talk to you again and to be here You're again. You're welcome. Can we... Um, can you let us know how listeners can best find you online? Absolutely. So my website is amandapanich.com. That's P-A-N-I-T-C-H. Um, and I have a newsletter there that you can sign up for. Um, I don't send that out too often. I try and do, you know, once every month or once every other month. Um, but that'll have all the news about upcoming releases um, and events that I'm doing and things like that, um, as well as pictures of whatever I'm cooking. 
Um, and I'm also regularly on Instagram, um, where my screen, you know, my, um, my handle is Amanda Panich, um, same spelling as the website. And I have to ask, because you're mentioning photos, but do you describe your Instagram photos? Um, I try to in the caption. And I, I have posted a lot of food photos um, lately. Do you do like the alt text? Um, no, but I will make an effort to do that going forward. We like alt text. Accessibility for the win. Once again, this has been a discussion with author Amanda Elliott, and we are discussing her novel, Best Served Hot, which releases here in the US on February 21st. All right, so new books. I have a few things to mention that you've heard us talk about previously on our most anticipated releases of March episode. So I'm starting with one of Georgina's March picks, which is The Sister Effect by Susan Mallory. Kristen is also a big Susan Mallory fan. Then we have all three of Robin's most anticipated March releases coming out today. We have The Secret Lives of Country Gentlemen, Doomsday Book, number one by KJ Charles. We have A Sinister Revenge, which is the eighth book in Deanna Rayborn's Veronica Speedwell mystery series. And we have What Happened to Ruthie Ramirez, which is a standalone novel by Claire Jimenez. Then I am looking forward to a book called The Faithless. This is the second book in the Magic of the Lost series by C.L. Clark. So those are some books that you've heard us mention before. I want to move on now to some things that we haven't talked about. And I'm going to start with a couple of young adult novels. I'm starting with My Dear Henry. This is the sixth in the Remix Classic series by Kaylin Bayron. And this is a series written by multiple authors where they take a classic fairy tale or story and rewrite it, um, remix it, adding in some of their own culture. Um, sometimes stories become LBGTQ. This is just a really cool way of reimagining some classic literature. And this one is a Jekyll and Hyde remix. So again, this is My Dear Henry, Remixed Classics, book six by Kaylin Bayron. I'm also very excited to chat with you about The Jump by Brittany Morris. You may remember Brittany Morris. She wrote Slay a few years ago, and that book really made an impression on so many young people because it featured a young girl of color who was a gamer. Well, here we have The Jump, and this is a social justice-themed novel set in Seattle that revolves around a scavenger hunt. This is one that I am on hold for at my public library. I believe I was number one on the hold list. So if that's true, this should be sliding into my library account very, very soon. So this is The Jump, and it's by Brittany Morris. We also have There Goes the Neighborhood. This is by Jade Adya, and this is 
the story of a group of girls who decide that they need to stop the gentrification of their neighborhood. And so they devise a plan. They're going to start talking about all of this non-existent gang violence that's going on in their neighborhood as a sort of deterrent. And as you can imagine, this does not go the way they expect. This is another one that is on hold for me at the public library. I'm super excited about it. It's There Goes the Neighborhood by Jade Adia. We also have The Half-Life of Love by Brianna Bourne. She released a book last year that kind of put her on my radar, and it was kind of a science fiction-y, maybe a little bit dystopian kind of post-apocalyptic book. And I'm hoping for more of the same with this one. Um, it looks like it might have some romantic elements to it, perhaps a little bit of intrigue. Um, the synopsis was pretty sparse, so I don't know if we're looking at sort of more like sci-fi, um, but whatever it is, I am ready to check it out. It is The Half-Life of Love by Brianna Bourne. All right, let's move on to some fantasy because fantasy is great. We have When He's Torn. This is Olympus Pride number five by Suzanne Wright. Brooke is a big fan of Suzanne Wright. I think she's read at least a couple um, of books in every series that this author has written. I've heard that she does really cool types of shapeshifters and creates some cool magical species. Um, if you've not checked her out, but you love steamy urban fantasy slash paranormal romance, this is someone that I've heard great things about. So this is When He's Torn. It's Olympus Pride, number five, by Suzanne Wright. We also have a new encrypted book by the always fabulous Seanan McGuire. This is Backpacking Through Bedlam, Encrypted number 12. And this is a series that I honestly did not expect to love as much as I do. I thought it was going to be a little bit too light and fluffy for my taste, but I ended up really, really loving it. And although I'm not current on it, it is one that I plan to catch up with, especially now that there's a new book out. It kind of you know bumps it up to closer to the top of my PBR. But this is Backpacking Through Bedlam. It is Encrypted, book 12 by Seanan McGuire. All right, we have a debut novel out this week. This is A Witch's Guide to Fake Dating a Demon by Sarah Hawley. This is about a witch who manages to summon a demon and now she has to figure out what to do about it. She and the demon sort of enter a pact where they pretend to date while this witch tries to sort out her mistake and while the demon kind of decides what is next for him. So this is A Witch's Guide to Fake Dating a Demon by Sarah Hawley. If you love dark fantasy, you may be familiar with Anne Bishop and her Black Jewel series. The Queen's Price is number 12 in that series, and it is out this week. This is a series that I've kind of dabbled in over the years, but I am certainly not caught up. 
Um, it's a very, very dense, very intriguing read, but can be kind of hard to get through in spots. Um, there are some graphic scenes and some ideas here that make this perhaps not a series for every fantasy reader. But if you're looking for something different and if some darkness doesn't put you off, you might want to check it out. The first book is Daughter of the Blood. This one, though, is The Queen's Price, Black Jewel, number 12, by Anne Bishop. Jennifer Estep is releasing the third and final book in her Gargoyle Queen series. This is Conquer the Kingdom. And again, it is Gargoyle Queen, book three. This is the spinoff from the Kill the Queen, um, which was released several years ago. Natalia and I were fortunate enough to interview Jennifer last year for the second book in this series. And as always, we were so, so delighted to get to talk to her. But this series is kind of epic fantasy with a bit of an urban fantasy feel, lots of cool magic, some romance, and of course, lots of court intrigue. If you've been keeping up with this, then you are probably on pins and needles waiting to see how Gemma's story will end. So this is Conquer the Kingdom, Gargoyle Queen, book three by Jennifer Eastep. We have a new Hannah F. Witten book. This is The Foxglove King. It is Nightshade Crown, book one. She wrote For the Wolf um, a couple of years ago, which I think kind of put her on the map in some YA fantasy circles. And these have kind of that like dark fairy tale folklore feel where you get some of the influences of like the old stories that we love, but with new refreshing spins put on them. I am definitely hoping for more of the same with Witten's next book. So this one is The Foxglove King, Nightshade Crown, book one by Hannah F. Witten. We then have Wayward. This is kind of a historical novel with some fantastical elements by Amelia Hart. And it is about witches. It looks like it is told from the perspective of three different women, each of whom is somehow connected to witchcraft. So again, this is Wayward by Amelia Hart. All right, so I'm sticking here with historicals. The, um, the Amelia Hart book has kind of you know historical fiction with fantasy so i'm going to stay here with historicals and we're going to talk about some historical romance briefly we have saved by the bell bell with an e this is royal saboteurs book three by shanna galen i have talked about shanna galen before on these episodes and her books just always make me smile. They are the perfect blend of the lighter side of historical romance and that like deeper sort of thought-provoking type of historical romance that really makes you think about the ways in which society is portrayed. Um, Shanna Galen just manages to walk that line really, really well. And I always have fun reading her stuff. I have not checked out this series yet, although I do really want to. So this is Saved by the Bell, Royal Saboteurs, book three by Shanna Galen. 
if you're looking for straight up historical fiction, then Julia Kelly might be up your alley. We have by her, The Lost English Girl. And this is a novel of love, betrayal, and motherhood set against the backdrop of World War II. I have read three, three or three novels that Kelly has written um, prior to this one and have really, really enjoyed them all. Um, the Light Over London was her debut and really put her sort of on my radar. And now I always pay attention when I see her name attached to a book. So this is The Lost English Girl by Julia Kelly. We also have a new Jane Healy book out this week. This is Good Night from Paris. Mika is a fan of Jane Healy and recommended her to me several years ago. Um, she is someone that I've been keeping an eye on over the past couple of years as her backlist is expanding. Um, I love novels set in Paris, as do Stacy and Sarah. So this is one that I'm definitely going to check out. It is Good Night from Paris by Jane Healy. I want to now move on to a couple of romance novels. Um, first up is Off the Map by Trish Doler. And Trish Doler um, is very well known for her debut, which is Float Plan, which is kind of a road trip novel on the sea. This one has that same kind of travel element, but is not set on the water. And I do not believe that this is connected to her Beck Sisters series um, that was started with Float Plan. So this looks to be a standalone. And it is Off the Map by Trish Doler. And I would be remiss if I did not mention Lessons at the School by the Sea, Little School by the Sea, book three by Jenny Colgan. Um, Amber has read Jenny Colgan, Georgina, Stacy, Sarah, and she's just one of those authors who is said to write these very, very charming romantic novels. Um, this one is the third, as I said, in a series of books set at a school, which of course makes me very happy. And I will be definitely picking up this first one um, the next time I'm in a school reading mood. But this one is Lessons at the School by the Sea, Little School by the Sea, book three by Jenny Colgan. And I'm going to end with a few mystery, thriller, suspense type things. I want to talk about What Have We Done by Alex Finley. This is a novel looking at secrets and lies, some of which are left behind and some of which are carried with us forever. I will definitely be picking this up. This is What Have We Done by Alex Finley. Margaret Mizashima is releasing the ace book in her Timber Creek Canine series. This is Standing Dead. And I know that Brooke has read, I think, at least the first five or six in this series. I have the first one sitting on my iPad. Um, it's one that has been recommended to me as a mystery that involves like search and rescue animals. Um, and it's kind of a like a cozy with teeth, I guess. So definitely darker than some cozies, but not quite as dark as some like other mysteries and thrillers can be. But this is Standing Dead 
Kimber Creek Canine Mystery, Book 8 by Margaret Misushima. Christina Dodd is releasing a new book. This is Forget What You Know. It is a standalone. And it's interesting. I remember Christina Dodd back when she was writing historical romance. A Candle in the Window is one of the books that I will always remember reading. I think it was the first time I actually encountered a blind person as the heroine of a romance novel. And it wasn't done terribly. Um, I wouldn't say that it was like the best blindness representation I've ever seen, but it was definitely far from the worst. And I am just always, I think I'll have kind of a place in my heart for that particular book. But then Dodd started to move away from writing historical romance and started writing some romantic suspense and then moved into the thriller genre. So now, although some of her books do have romantic elements, kind of that romance subplot, the romance is not front and center. Um, Forget What You Know is a standalone, and it looks very dark and devious and twisty. So I will be picking it up. My The hold list at my library is long, but I do hope to get to it sooner rather than later. And this is Forget What You Know by Christina Dodd. And lastly, I want to talk about Peter Swanson. And this week, he is releasing The Kind Worth Saving, Henry Kimball, book two. Now, this is the sequel to a book he wrote, gosh, I probably read it 10 years ago now, called The Kind Worth Killing. And I remember it because I was listening to an interview with narrator Karen White, and she read a sample from it. So this is, the first book is about a husband and wife who really want to end their relationship. And unbeknownst to one another, they end up hiring people to get rid of their, like each other. Um, and it ends in kind of an unexpected way. I'm pretty eager to see what a sequel would look like because that's just something I never really imagined seeing. Um, I thought it was all wrapped up quite nicely at the end of book one. So I am definitely intrigued by the idea of book two, which is The Kind Worth Saving by Peter Swanson. And that is all I have for you this week. I hope all of you are staying safe and well. If you are a Girl Scout cookie fan, I hope you are chomping on some yumminess. Um, it is getting down to the end of winter here. So spring is on the way. If winter is hard for you, take heart. You are almost through it. At least you are if you are in the Northern Hemisphere. Until next time, stay well and of course, well read. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.
Thank you.